When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 359 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jim Hilton, and this is one of those weeks where I would have had just one show, and that show is tomorrow. But over the weekend, I released quite the long piece about Johan Cruyff, who I realized we've barely talked about in the five years of doing this show. So in just a minute, you'll hear a history of Johan Cruyff and what he means to the modern game into FC Barcelona. As I was doing it, I started to understand that I was only scratching the surface. I barely touched on his Ballon d'Ors, his relationship with Laporta, or the four straight La Ligas that he won as a manager of the club. Which is good, because there's probably enough stuff for a part two down the road. I intentionally left out the connection he has to Mescaloon Club, but that motto in itself has become a lot like coarse words. As in, whatever Kool-Aids need them to be to try to win an argument with another Kool-Aid, you all know that. The intention of the explainer was to try to work through the nuance of Cruyff as a player, as a manager, and then as a figure that loomed over everything. His legacy is often just boiled down to that last one, when he was having public arguments played out in the last decade of his life in the press with Sandra Rosell and his friends. But it was his time as a player, and then the ways in which he adapted the things he learned as a player, from the likes of Renus Michaels and Stefan Kovacs, that he took with him as a manager and almost supercharged. But before you do hear that piece on Cruyff, as a little podcast exclusive, if you will, I realized that Lavon and I were so caught up talking about the serious business of the finances on Friday that we never even mentioned that the new home jerseys dropped. I know regular viewers will know that other than the show merch and a few jerseys from the Iniesta days and before, I don't really own many Barca jerseys. Again, I've been very fortunate that recently, if you want the show merch that's 
also available down in the show notes below. And the Barcelona podcast is the name of the store on Teespring. But anyway, I digress. But yeah, I don't really own that many Barca jerseys. Really just one Iniesta, one Signera, and an old Messi from the 2011 season when he broke the world record. And for the keen ears, you'll know that I've generally liked the away kits much more than the home ones for going on like six years now. And I feel like you kind of have to buy the home jersey. I mean, I understand that people buy the away jerseys, but yeah, I've always felt more preferential where I, I just feel like if you're going to get the jersey, you've got to do the one that they would have played in at the camp. No, right? But again, I've liked the away ones better than the home ones recently. This also coming after the start of last decade when I wasn't really the biggest fan of the away kits for a number of seasons. And if I'm being particular about what I don't love about the new home kit, personally, if you hadn't noticed, I don't have the broadest shoulders. So that navy blue at the top will likely make me look like a little bit of a child in it. Maybe even messy through the years when he was a little bit younger in those loose fitting shirts, especially if I have to go a size up. And, you know, for that reason, I do take that personally. And while Spotify as a sponsor is something that we have talked about before, for good and for bad, and we'll talk about again, I'm sure, I'm not the biggest fan of the faded gold of the Spotify sponsor logo. I just don't think it helps the blue and the red, but this is just my eye being a little particular in that way. And finally, I'd rather just have the blue and red stripes coming under the navy top portion, but I do get how it has to run all the way down. It does look a lot better running down under the arms once the shorts and the socks are added. It's supposed to be inspired by the Barcelona Olympics, celebrating 30 years since they took place in 1992, which is one of those rare global events that really did help a city for the better in both the short term and the long term, something that just does not happen, of course, looking ahead to the World Cup in the wintertime, of course, is what I'm alluding to, but the World Cup in 2018 in Russia, four years before that in Brazil, and the list goes on and on and on, especially with those Olympics. I mean, somehow, I don't know who always has the job of Olympic Committee or FIFA doing a worse job when it comes to putting on major events, other than here's your UEFA coming in. Hey, over here, we can bundle the Champions League final. But okay, I digress from all that. Again, the Barcelona Olympics was actually one of the positives. But either way, I'd love to hear a more detailed explanation about how the jersey connects to the 30th anniversary celebration. Because I know it's not something to lose sleep over, but I really did enjoy the fact that while the club did say that, of course, the away jerseys from this past season were about honoring the original Femini from 1970 and all that, I think they really did go the extra mile when it came to explaining their history and doing their darndest to kind of make up for the lost time that I've talked about before, where they did push women's football to the side for a long, long, long time. And you can't just apologize because people don't want an apology, but you kind of have to make it right. And you've got to honor the people that you neglected to honor before if they're so willing to take that appreciation. And I think so many of these women have been, you know, I say brave enough to accept that recognition. And that's been really cool to see, especially as the Femini. Yeah, I know they lost the Champions League final, but as the Femini have continued to become their own brand. Because a reminder, too, that these jerseys are not just being sold to you know, young men or young boys who are excited about the first team, but they're going to be sold to young girls too and women who not only enjoy the first team, but also might be fans of solely the feminine and then the first team second. So certainly they want moving forward these jerseys to represent both the men's teams and the feminine teams and hopefully down the youth academy too as 
Barcelona, we'll say Barcelona Digital continues to put more and more resources, or I hope they do, puts more and more resources into making more Academy games available and making those smaller level or making my job easier when I'm trying to watch the U19s or the U17s and see who's next and who Xavi might be looking at already to say, hey, maybe we can get that kid in first team training very much like he had Alejandro Balde and uh, Alex Garrido, and Garrido being one of the U19 players on that list. But yeah, speaking of La Masia, by the way, I think that's a good transition for me to stop my rambling about jerseys and broadcasting rights. And again, remind you that we'll have the regular show out late tomorrow night, where we'll likely talk about Lewandowski again, Anthony Maria, and maybe even some good news. That's not me saying, I'm guessing, maybe, but probably not. But anyway, no outro for this show either. So at this point, I want to say thanks so much for listening and please enjoy this piece on the immortal Johan Cruyff. When Johan Cruyff died in 2016, the football world mourned, and none more than two clubs, Ajax and FC Barcelona. As a player, he helped catapult Ajax into what was historically a top side in the Netherlands into one of the top sides in world football, at least for a few years. He did this as a player whose brilliance and understanding of the game ushered in total football and reshaped the game as we know it. At Barcelona, he pushed the envelope as a player, helping to bring Barca back from the dark ages, but not totally yet into the light. That would come more than a decade later with him in charge, when Barcelona established itself as one of the elite teams in European football. But maybe his greatest influence on the Catalan club came with the ideas that he instilled in others. The counsel he gave to Juan Laporta, the tutelage he provided to Pep Guardiola, and the unwavering principles that destroyed relationships, divided a fan base, and helped build one of the greatest teams ever assembled. It is the summertime, and I have to be honest, transfers get me a bit tired. So I was thinking about content to do for the channel, and somehow I realized we have gone years, and I do mean years, without really talking about Johan Cruyff. Here and there, we've done a little bit. Of course, you can't talk about the Dream Team without him. You can't talk about the 1970s without him as a player. But really focusing on just Johan Cruyff and the impact he had at FC Barcelona. And I especially don't want to talk about Cruyff through the lens of Crisismo and the ways in which his words have been contorted to create different factions in the fan base. If you feel like you're divided as to where you stand on this video, then I'm not sure you got the point of this video. This is merely an explainer about Johan Cruyff about the nuances and difficulties of him as the man, on the reasons we deify him, and the reasons why we have to understand why his role was what it was in his waning years. And while I don't have a coupon code or a sponsorship, this video and all the research done would not have been possible without this handy dandy book by Simon Cooper and the book My Turn, which is his own, that being Johann Cruyff's own autobiography. These two books really help guide my research as to what I'm gonna present to you today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content... Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. So let's get started, but I guess not with Johan Cruyff's story, because Cruyff's story actually starts with Venus Michaels, one of his first coaches at Ajax. Before Michaels, Ajax was playing in a 4-2-4 under Vic Buckingham, a regular formation at the time, but with Michaels in charge and Cruyff the leader on the field, they switched to a 4-3-3 and total football was kinda born. And I don't want to oversimplify total football, but many of its tactics, which include a goalkeeper that could pass, a bit of pressing, and most significantly, versatility amongst its players who could swap positions on the field whenever necessary, are all still very prevalent in the expectations Kool-Aid's and most top fan bases expect of their teams. At this point, I should mention that Cruyff wasn't a one-man team either. The likes of Johan Niskins, a top 50 player for Barcelona and a top 10 player for Ajax, and Yuri Mirren in the midfield, Horst Blankenberg as a centre-back that was ahead of his time, and goalkeeper Heinz Stoy. The freedom and fluidity of the team revolved around Cruyff. He wanted space when attacking, make things wide and attack the space the opposition leaves while defending sideline to sideline. But when defending, snuff out space as fast as possible. Even in his athletic prime, Cruyff was never an elite athlete. He wasn't the quickest or the strongest in a time when the game was prioritizing those things more than any other. And in fact, he was actually a heavy chain smoker. He would smoke and smoke and smoke, not stopping until after his playing career was over when he was already a manager and had a bit of a health scare. So obviously cardio, as a player, was not his cup of tea. Though what he was the best at was his close control, technical ability, and of course his mind, which was the greatest weapon in the game. And that technical skill in particular was refined from a young age under the watchful eye of the club Ajax. He grew up in the shadow of the stadium, and his father was a huge fan of the club. 
And unfortunately, his father Menos did die while Cruyff was just 12 years old due to a heart attack. Now, it's difficult to find silver lines with such bad news at such a young age, but it did fuel in Cruyff a desire not only not to lose, but a desire to provide for a future family and make sure that there was no quit in his bones. And while there was some stability added, his mother did take on additional jobs, and she did marry the groundsman, in which Cruyff grew up knowing at IX and the grounds crew. But shifting focus back to Venus Michaels, he wasn't necessarily typically a father figure, but Cruyff does credit a number of men with sprinkling little bits of fatherly wisdom throughout his youth. It was the aforementioned Vic Buckingham, who Kules may know as also a manager of FC Barcelona in the past, who gave Cruyff, at 17 years old, his IX debut. But it was under Michaels that he really became the Johan Cruyff that we know at the ripe old age of 18. Michaels gave Cruyff the freedom to thrive as a player. But this freedom always came at a price. The two always talked tactics and always argued. But they both also thrived in conflict, which is why they worked so well together. Stefan Kovacs, who replaced Michaels at Ajax after Michaels took a bigger money move to Barca, gave the players even more freedom and they kept on winning. But all good Ajax things did come to an end. And it's at this point in the video when I want to remind you that Johan Cruyff is not just some ethereal idea or figurehead or genius that exists only in the clouds, but he was a living, breathing person with a personality, and a personality that was both his greatest asset and his Achilles heel. He first came to Barcelona after being stripped of the captaincy at Ajax. Well, not necessarily stripped, but he lost the vote to continue being captain in July of 1973 and called his agent in the hallway to get him to Barcelona. Then he came to Barcelona, and aside from what he was actually doing as a player on the field, here comes the most difficult part to understand of his legacy. And that's what he represented to Catalonia and the Catalan people, regardless of whether he wanted to or not. For starters, he was willing to move to a dictatorship, especially for the money. In May of 1973, foreign players were able to play in Spain again, and it was time to go. This was partly because he wanted to live in Barcelona, but it was a lot about money. The tax rates in Spain compared to the Netherlands circa the 1970s, if you could, you did. But then came a few events that endeared him to the Catalans. Firstly, Cruyff refused Madrid's contract offer somewhat due to Ajax accepting it, and Barca spent a world record transfer fee on him, a fee so high that he was registered as livestock to circumvent import regulations. He said in 1974 that he didn't want to be involved in politics, but his presence and anti-authoritarian nature made him more of a figurehead for Catalan nationalism than he actually was. And while he wasn't involved in politics, his confrontational nature with the refs that Barca fans believed were owned by the capital was inherently political, even if it wasn't meant to be by Cruyff but part of me certainly thinks he knew something of what he was doing. And then there was Jordi. The story goes that he wanted to name his son Jordi, but not doing so after the patron saint of Catalonia, but because he and his wife Danny liked the name. It became some kind of legend about him convincing the clerk at the town hall to let him be named Jordi instead of Jorge, as a Catalan version Jordi was banned at the time. Then, eight days later, the 5-0 at the Bernabeu happened, creating El Clasico as we know it, and forever making Cruyff a Catalan idol. At this point, we should say, that was the playing highlight for Barcelona and Johan Cruyff, as they won the league that season, the only one Cruyff would win with Barcelona. Because by that time, Cruyff's time at Barcelona was already coming to its end. A threat for one of Josep Luis Nunez's opponents, not Nunez himself, but his opponents, led to him being elected, and it was one of Cruyff's, we'll say, final acts as a Barcelona player. Financial issues forced him to continue playing in both the U.S. and the Netherlands for the next few years, where he was both physically past it but still a walking legend, especially around young Ajax players Ronald Koeman, Frank Rijkaard, and Marco van Basten. In 1984, he retired as a player at Feyenoord, having fallen out with Ajax after a money dispute, 
but did return to be Ajax's coach in 1985. The first and one of the most lasting things he did was change every academy team and the first team to play in a 4-3-3, then move up the field and shift into a 3-4-3, as these main principles would exist from the U10 all the way to the first team. Because now it's time to return to Barcelona and Johan Cruyff's time as the manager of the Catalan club. He returned in 1988, and while Nunez reportedly didn't like him very much, it was a union that helped them both, as it did when Nunez became president originally. And it should be noted that Cruyff wasn't a complete loner either. Credit should be given to Paco Cerullo, nicknamed El Drudia, who was Cruyff's fitness man and brought his ideas from the handball section at Barca. It was fitness with the ball, the type of fitness that would be relevant during the game. As well as longtime assistant Tony Bruin-Slot, a man who was able to fill in any possible gap in tactics or analysis of the opponent that Cruyff might have missed. And finally, old Barca teammate Charlie Rusak, who was another assistant, who fell out with Cruyff when Rusak took over for him after he was let go, mirroring the breakdown between Guardiola and Villanova years later. One of his big moves, something that Xavi would hope that he would have the same chance to do before he's let go as Barca manager, was to bring in players to spice the team up. In particular, Cruyff looked to the Basque region to spice the team up and give the team a bit of a mentality shift. And they were known to be a little more hard-nosed, especially in the 1980s, up there in the northern region of Spain. He took chances on players whose physicality was questioned, just like his own, with the best example being a too-skinny Guardiola. And his most important three words as manager of Barca came in 1992, Salid y go out and enjoy it, before beating Sampdoria for their first European Cup at Wembley, having lost to Stau Bucharest in 1986 and having a list of almost throughout their history. Four straight La Ligas came next. And then a 4-0 lashing from AC Milan in 1994 in the Champions League final. Not only was it his lowest point at Barcelona as a manager, but it obviously led eventually to him leaving in 1996. And now for part three, I think we need to finish up by really focusing on how he was the architect of modern football and modern Barcelona. Some of Cruyff's core beliefs were, and let's list them, to receive the ball facing the right way with your head up to better see the field, looking for players regardless of their size, instead looking for players with the technical skill set we're laying out, looking to the academy to reinforce the squad when necessary, trusting that coming up through the academy means that those players are best prepared for the first team from day one, find the triangles, set up in rest defense in a staggered way so that one player losing the ball wouldn't mean that a whole line of players was beaten. Rondos and the concentration required for it was essential to improve a player and figure out who had it and who didn't. He wanted defenders that attacked. Look at Koeman's goals at Barcelona, the roles that Albert Soler and Sergio Bazuan played for the Dream Team. And finally, press high, press high, press high, hunting the opposition when the ball is turned over. And his influence over these points were very much around the Barca and Torno, a term that he actually made up in his later years. Even after he was gone as manager, his voice was still heard pretty loudly around Barcelona be it through his column in the newspaper or through people getting stuff to the press. There's a good argument that the tug of war in his later years, in the media in particular, is what led to the different factions within the club. But as was always the case with Cruyff, and what I can defend him with, is that he was the one to take the burden of, well, fault, if you will say. But the only time that Johan Cruyff was ever in conflict with someone is when someone else was in conflict with him. It was always a two-way street. So to try to pin blame or put it all on Johan Cruyff is pretty unfair when you look at the other side. Cruyff lived in Barcelona until his death in 2016, but still served as a counselor for Juan Laporta, a fan of Cruyff when he became president. Cruyff gave the thumbs up to Rijkaard as manager, Bajiristain as technical director, and Pep as manager. All very wise decisions in hindsight. 
But it was in 2010 when Senator Rizal became president, a man Cruyff did not like. Let me emphasize that. Did not like. And Cruyff's direct link to Barcelona was severed. The reputations of Roselle and Bartomeu have further pushed the idea that Cruyff may have made a lot of wrong choices about people. Yes, but he did get some major ones right. So with all we've gone over, what's the takeaway for today's Barcelona? The one that has strayed a bit from what Cruyff built, but through the familiar faces of Laporta, Jordi Cruyff, Xavi, and the like, Barcelona is at least in theory striving to get back to those roots. And the lasting legacy for Cruyff is maybe Barca's biggest problem at the moment. He didn't just establish Barca's way. He established the way that any elite team in modern football is going to play. It isn't necessarily about not having athletes or not wanting to play by the blueprint that Cruyff and Guardiola and Villanova and yes, even Koeman and Xavi laid out. It's that the secret sauce that made Barca what it is now is being replicated everywhere. So many of Cruyff's principles are the principles of the modern game. So the teams with the right talent and deep enough pockets are able to put together teams that very idealistically represent what Cruyff was putting forward. And that's even Real Madrid today. Yes, even Real Madrid. That's the primary reason why Aurelian Chuamani is probably going to Real Madrid. But Kool-Aid have watched him understand that he would also be a perfect fit at the Camp Nou. Last things last, I didn't speak about Meske Un Club at all in this video. But that motto connects to Cruyff in profound ways and is definitely a video for another time. And in typical Johan Cruyff fashion, I gotta take this last, last moment to remind you, you can also be at the cutting edge of fashion like Cruyff was in the 70s in some Barcelona podcast gear. It's available at the store, which you can find down in the link below. And you know, I usually wrap each and every one of these videos up with an old Forza Barca. But this time, Salib Ficistitat. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.